GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, grain markets were mixed this past week. We'll hear from PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Piccolo about that. The Saskatchewan Canola Development Commission held its annual general meeting at the Western Canadian Crop Production Show in Saskatoon on Tuesday. And after their AGM, three new leadership appointments took place. We'll tell you who's in charge of Saskanola now. Also, the molecular lab manager at Discovery Seed Labs in Saskatoon says seed quality for the 2023 crops is good, with not a lot of bad news to deliver. Sandy Junick will join us on today's program. And a study to evaluate seeding rates in spring wheat was conducted in 22 by the Indian Head Agricultural Research Foundation. Christiane Catelier will tell us about it. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Grain markets were mixed this past week. PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Piccolo says canola fell $28 per metric ton this week, while spring wheat futures were up $0.10 cents a bushel. This week, yesterday, there was a USDA report, and that set the tone for the grain markets here uh, today and going forward, I believe, for next week. When we're looking at the March canola contract, we're down approximately $28 a ton on the week. Uh, today, as we're talking, sitting at approximately $842 a ton. On the March Minneapolis wheat front, it seems that the wheat markets might be finding a bit of a bottom here. March Minneapolis up approximately 10 cents a bushel on the week. So as I mentioned, uh, the USDA report came out yesterday and the news was bullish against trade expectations for the soy markets. Final U.S. production for soybeans came in well below trade expectations and even below the low end of actual the range of estimates, as well as December 1st stocks came in below trade expectations as well. So we saw soybeans increase yesterday, and that has kind of helped maybe put a bit of a, a floor under canola here for now. Again, the bullish news from the USDA with continued concerns now with the Argentina crop outlook and weakness in the U.S. dollar are all really supportive factors here for, for soybeans, soybean oil, meal especially, and in turn canola. But when we do look at the wheat front, again, wheat seems like we might be finding a bit of a bottom. Uh, there, however, there was a surge in planted area and there has been very low export sales recently. So while the U.S. and world's 2022-2023 ending stocks came in below expectations, that was really more than offset by the sharp increase in the U.S. planted acres. So as much as we might see a bit of a rally here, I think, I'm not sure the outlook might still be kind of sideways to lower 
for the wheat markets. He expects the Russia-Ukraine conflict will continue to have an impact on grain markets this year. It really seems like there hasn't been too much news coming out of the war right now. Wheat has been still moving right now, but as you know, one thing could happen, an announcement or or a bomb or something like that, and it really changes the outlook. So that's where I always talk about with clients a risk management plan because you need to come into whether using futures or options or even just doing, let's say, contracts with the grain company have your plan in place before. Adam Piccolo is a commodity futures advisor with PI Financial in Winnipeg. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94 Ag Review. The Saskatchewan Canola Development Commission held its annual general meeting at the Western Canadian Crop Production Show in Saskatoon on Tuesday. After Saskanola's AGM, three new leadership appointments took place. The board of directors elected Keith Fournier from Lone Rock as board chair, Dean Roberts from Colville as vice chair, and Margaret Rigetti from Langbank as audit and finance committee chair. Saskanola also committed just over $1 million towards 10 research projects in total that were evaluated through the Saskatchewan Agriculture Development Fund for 2022-23, including six projects co-funded by the ADF. The fund was created to support collaborative research to help farmers and ranchers succeed. The total value of all co-funding for these 10 projects is nearly $3.8 million. A new urea production plant could be constructed in Saskatchewan. Following two years of discussions with the provincial government, Belle Plaine could be the home of Genesis Fertilizer's 700,000 metric ton farmer-owned urea plant. This supercenter would be a fertilizer storage and blending facility have the capability to load trucks from rail cars and the capability to unload trucks and rail cars at a rate of 800 tons per hour. Genesis is in the process of securing land to build the facility on and equity and capital to finance the project which is estimated to cost around 1.7 billion dollars. The plant will also create more than 130 full-time jobs once urea production begins. The Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef has announced its 2023 Executive Committee with a well-known Canadian name in the Vice President's Chair. Leading the organization will be Ian McConnell of Tyson Foods with Canadian rancher Bob Lowe of Tri-L Ranch serving as Vice President. Established in 2012, the Roundtable is comprised of over 100 member organizations working to advance sustainable beef through leadership, science and multi-stakeholder engagement. The organization has a goal of reducing the global warming impact of beef by 30 percent by 2030. World wheat production in the 2022-23 marketing year will likely end up slightly higher than earlier projections 
according to the latest estimates from the International Grains Council. However, with usage predictions also rising, carryout stocks were revised slightly lower. In a report released yesterday, the IGC pegged 2022-23 world wheat production at 796 million metric tons, which would be up from its November forecast of 791 million and well above the 781 million metric tons grown in 2021-22. Anticipated consumption was raised by 5 million metric tons from the November estimate to 789 million, causing the carryout stocks to dip to 281 million from 282 million in November. If realized, the wheat carryout would still be up from the 274 million metric ton ending stocks in 2021-22. When comparing oat prices at the start of 2023 compared to one year ago, they appear to be night and day. Despite modest price increases over the past month, some Western Canadian oat bids are less than half of what they were last year, in Alberta, the high-delivered bid for oats as of Tuesday was $5.32 per bushel, down $3.55 from last year, according to Prairie Ag Hotwire. In Saskatchewan, the high-delivered bid was $4.13 per bushel, a decrease of $4.94 from one year ago. In Manitoba, the high-delivered bid was $5 per bushel, lower than the $10.15 per bushel reported in January of 2022. On the Chicago Board of Trade, the March oat contract fell to $33.27 per bushel on December 8th. That was the lowest price recorded since December 7th of 2020. And on April 11th, 2022, the contract hit an all-time high of $8.11 per bushel, preceding a 60% drop in value over an eight-month span. Prices have stayed below its 100-day moving average since late June. A public hearing later this month could help determine the fate of a small parcel of extraordinarily productive agricultural land in South Surrey, B.C. The land is owned by the federal government, and there are concerns it could be sold for development but it has been farmed by one family for more than 50 years, and its unique microclimate means it produces large amounts of vegetables starting very early in the season. The Agricultural Land Commission will hold a hearing on January 23rd in Langley to decide if the nearly 124-hectare piece of land should be included in the land reserve, meaning it could not be used for anything but farming. Two Surrey councillors want the public to write to the Land Commission, urging it to include the farm in the Agricultural Land Reserve, and they are also calling on residents to attend the hearing to support use of the land for food production. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It is sunny and minus 13 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. The molecular lab manager at Discovery Seed Labs in Saskatoon 
says seed quality for the 2023 crops is good, with not a lot of bad news to deliver. Sandy Junick released fall germination and vigor statistics at the Saskatchewan Seed Growers Association annual general meeting in Saskatoon yesterday. Because there was rain this year in uh, most of the province, we are seeing the disease levels come back up on both the cereal and the pulse crops, uh, definitely higher than they were last year. But everything is still at a nice manageable level from what we're seeing. The following germination and vigor statistics for the various crops are provincial average. Junik starts with wheat. This year for wheat, you know, our average germination is 95%, which is, which is awesome. The uh, vigor is 92, and we're only at 1.5% of samples tested in the lab below that 85% germ. And that, it was a 2.5% last year at this time for wheat. So wheat did well last year, and it's looking really good this year as well. The average germination for Durham is 93.7%, with vigor at 89.4%. Less than 3% of Durham tested was under 85% germination. Junik says both barley values are in the 90th percentile. Durham is 95.5% with a 91.8 vigor average, which is really nice to see. We've noticed a large reduction in the number of samples this year that are below that 85%. I think last year it was 13%, and this year it's only 3%. So that's good to see. So barley is in good shape. Oat germination and vigor are equally impressive. Uh, average germ is the highest that it's been since I've been at Discovery, and that's about 13 years, uh, 96.7%. 93.1 vigor uh, and only 2% of samples are below 85. The average flax germination was 88.1% and germination 84%. These numbers are much better than last year when 29% of flax had under 85% germination. Moving on to the pulse crops, Junik starts with peas. They're back up to a nice level. Our average germ is, is 90 uh, this year compared to 81.5 last year. Vigor's holding strong to 88.6 versus 78 last year. And only 13% of the samples are below 85% this year. And uh, last year at this time it was 43. So much better conditions for the field peas this year. Most of the germs that we would have done on this would have been on pre-cleaned samples though. So just another note that since it was dry in a lot of the pea production areas post cleaning we do expect those germs to drop a little bit we're hoping to not see the dramatic drops that we saw last year as for lentils 96.6 percent with a 91.4 percent vigor 0.8 percent of samples are below that 85 percent so lentils are in very good shape as well junik wrapped up his presentation to seed growers with a few bullet points Group 11 resistance in peas and lentils has been on the rise. So we do have uh, molecular tests to determine whether either in plant material or on your seed, the disease that's present is resistant to the group 11s. And we can do that for both peas and lentils. One we've been getting a lot of calls about this year is that bacterial leaf streak. So there has been confirmed fields of it in Saskatchewan in a few different areas. And we do have a test that can identify the bacterial pathophores that cause it and that can be done either on plant tissue it's also transmitted on seed lots so we do have a seed test available as well for it 
So if you would like any more information about that or anything like that, you can just call into the lab, talk to me. I can walk you through the procedures, the information that it gives you, and that sort of thing. Sandy Junick is the molecular lab manager at Discovery Seed Labs in Saskatoon. He spoke yesterday at the Saskatchewan Seed Growers Association annual general meeting in Saskatoon. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 157.57. That's up two. April live cattle trading at 160.70, up 22. March feeder cattle trading at 182.52, down 175. April feeder cattle trading at 186.77, down 162. February lean hogs trading at 78.45, down 30. April lean hogs trading at 87.30, that's up 12. And that's the livestock market conditions. A study to evaluate seeding rates in spring wheat was conducted in 2022 by the Indian Head Agricultural Research Foundation. Christiane Catelier is a research associate with IHARF. First, she outlines her experience with on-farm research in association with Sask Wheat. So I'm not a farmer, so my experience has been all from a researcher perspective. So over the last few years working at IHARF, I've been working on building the field scale side of our program. We've had like a few replicated strip trials on site with our own field scale equipment. And also I've been working with local producers, mostly collecting data in their fields, but not doing the replicated strip trials. It's been really good to build those relationships and to get to know a bit more about those operations so we can hopefully take that next step to the replicated strip trials, hopefully in the next growing season. And then I guess also this last season, I helped um, you or Sasquatch to initiate your field scale program by coordinating um, one of the sites for the seeding rate trial here in Indian Head. Um, this was a great learning experience, and I think it'll really help me visualize that producer perspective as I plan for next season. She believes on-farm research is important for farmers. I would say the the biggest benefit to the farmer um, in spending time doing that on-farm research is being able to validate that a new product or practice works or is effective under their own management style, using their own equipment and logistics and on their own soil and field conditions. The second benefit I can think of is, is being able to test that new product or practice on a smaller portion of their acreage before committing to the whole farm. So it's like a risk management strategy. So field scale research is like the last step in agronomic research. It's like a proof of concept. So you're testing something that's been theoretically pro proven, but you're testing it under commercial management. So like on your real working farm. And that makes a lot of sense because the goal of agronomic research in the end is better crop production. And commercial management is how the crops are produced. So it's, it's just a, a very um, practical last step. Catelier explains how a producer can set up a meaningful trial on their farm. 
you want to start by narrowing down your questions. So what's important to you? What's been bugging you? Like what's you've been kind of asking yourself if it would be better to do a different way than you're actually doing it. So after you have this in mind, then you can start thinking about the treatments that you'll want or need to to answer that question. So for field scale research, you usually want to stick to a smaller number of treatments, like two or three, to keep it manageable. And one of those treatments would be your normal or your base management that you would otherwise be doing. At this point, one thing I really want to start getting out as a message is that there's more than one way to do field scale research. So I find that the agronomic industry in general has really focused on strip trials replicated within fields. And don't get me wrong, like there's a reason for this. It's, it's very efficient and, and it's very effective experimental design and it's basic and straightforward. So farmers and agronomists who aren't like trained in research at a high level can, can even use this experimental design independently and still get some good results with just a basic analysis. But sometimes you have a question that isn't easily addressed using this design or else the logistics don't work. Like you have to always think about logistics when you're doing that field scale research because these things are happening um, at the same time as all the bottlenecks on the farm are happening. So seeding and spraying and harvest. So um, if the logistics don't work to set it up as a strip trial, or if it's just something that doesn't work as a strip trial in, gen in general, um, there's other experimental designs that you can use um, to answer your question. But I would say in this case, you'd probably want to reach out to a research specialist to help you with the experimental design. Things like applying treatments on half of a field or just a smaller acreage portions have really gotten a bad rap, but the really the main issue is replication. So if you, if you apply a treatment in a single block on a single field, your results, you can't really conclude anything confidently. But if you do the same thing on a few different fields, um, then you're getting that replication that's really important. And another thing that's really important is good data collection and appropriate data collection. And that's a little bit harder to figure out when you're starting to look at these different experimental designs. And that's why it's, it's good to get in touch with the research specialist in that case. She then outlines how farmers can get meaningful results from their trial. I would say proper replication is the most important thing. So like... What replication does is it increases your confidence that any observed effects or anything you see in your field wasn't due to chance. So for example, if you have a single replication, how confident can you really be that what you saw was a result of that treatment? It's basically a 50-50 chance at that point. So then when we talk about replication, we mean of that set of treatments. So all the treatments replicated one. So if you only have two treatments, the two treatments, like your control or your basic or your um, normal, um, and then your other one that you're comparing it to, those two treatments replicated once is what defines a block or a replicate. You want to make sure that the conditions within that block, just those two treatments, that the single set of treatments are under those conditions, 
You want to make sure those are consistent, reasonably uniform. Then your next block or your next replicate can have completely different conditions. So that's where I, I'm going with you can have a completely different field. As long as your conditions are pretty uniform within that that same block. Because you want to be comparing apples to apples, right? With like more and more replicates, you can start to work out how consistent that response is. So how often you're seeing the same thing, um, and then you increase your confidence that that observed effect is actually a result of the treatment. We can talk about appropriate data collection, accurate data collection there too, but I think I touched on the most important thing and that's that replication. Catelier says in 2022, she partnered with Sasquheat to evaluate seeding rates in spring wheat at four different sites. That I, I coordinated and managed a single site um, of the seeding rate trial in the Indian Head area. And then I also helped with um, the data analysis of all the sites together. In general, it was a really good way for everyone to learn together and kind of ease into the program. It was a good pilot year, I guess you could say. Um, it was also a really good learning experience for myself personally as well as a researcher. Um, I really learned like what role I need to play in my relationship with the producers, with the collaborating producers. So in my past experiences doing on-farm research, I played a more passive role, like mainly, mainly like collecting data in their fields and then just letting them manage everything as usual. We didn't have like the strips to set up in the field then. And then I would just get management info from them when things slow down for them. But I found, I found out that it's better for them if I do take a little more of that active role and help them plan ahead and get timely information from them. So like I used to be always worried that every time I texted or called the farmer that they'd be annoyed and that would put them off of participating in the future but it was it was sort of the opposite like sometimes they they don't or can't respond right away or they need a reminder and that's completely understandable like I don't expect anything different so yeah I just I just learned a lot about that communication um it's good to know each other's expectations right from the start so and like I just wanted to add here too that the biggest reason producers are often hesitant to to, to do the on-farm research is that, like I mentioned before, like the important things that have to get done for research are happening right when they don't have time to deal with it. So during seeding, spring, harvest. I think really the best way to deal with this is planning everything way ahead so that we're ready and efficient when the time comes to do the trial. And that's kind of the goal, I hope. She then conducted a statistical analysis of all the data collected. So the results were sort of unexpected, but not completely out of line with past research, I would say. Um, in general, there actually seemed to be a trend of decreasing yield with increasing seeding rates. And like I said, sort of unexpected, but not completely out of line with past research. It's kind of dependent, as we say a lot in research. <laughs> so... Um, the results weren't significant at individual sites, and that's pretty typical with field-scale research. It's, it's hard to get a significant um, result with field-scale research. You have a lot more variability to deal with, and we, even we, especially we lost some reps and, at some sites, and then we probably could have done a better job at controlling experimental error. Like, for example, we had, like, non-uniform sprayer tracks, 
throughout some of the the plots and then we like which we had to account for we did account for it but it's still like that that level of error that we have to deal with and um we also use estimated yields from the yield monitors rather than w using the wave yields in some cases and so like i said it was a learning experience for all and like even even with those sort of um issues not really issues but learning experiences i'll call them we still we still had some results like interestingly um when we combine the data across the sites the yield decrease the yield decrease with higher seeding rates was actually significant so this was significant um and that's with the data combined so that shows you the the power of like the replication um and just this on its own is pretty meaningful in my opinion um considering the issues like i said um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting and, and I think a meaningful result. Um, so we decided that it was probably an environmental effect, um, but I feel like with the non-response at individual sites and that negative response overall, we can at least conclude that there wasn't an economic benefit to increasing the seeding rate. Catelier notes the environment at certain sites impacted their results. We didn't have a dry weather and drought at all the locations this year, so we we discussed it as a group with the collaborating producers. Like we had a meeting with all of them together this fall, and the conclusion we kind of came to was that the lower seeding rates benefited from having um, more tillers, and then better tiller development because of the timing of the precipitation. So even though some sites were dry, they had precipitation events in like. June, um, midsummer, that would have really benefited the development of those tillers. So I think that's kind of what we came to a conclusion with the collaborating producers. So like in that case, um, with the tillers being larger, they would have a larger overall contribution to the yield. So we, we, we figured that's what happened. Um, sometimes it's learning learning experience for next year how to what we need to measure next year so yeah we we could maybe even um as we conduct this trial more often we can start like collecting environmental data to go with the sites and then we can like characterize the sites with um total precipitation timing of precipitation things like that that we think are affecting our results so all things that more replication gives us but she's not sure they would see different results in a different year with different conditions. We had at that same meeting, we had that presentation from um, Eric Johnson and showing us the, the kind of the, re the, re the review of the research from everything that's been done with wheat seeding rates. And um, it really does depend on the environment. And I think we could answer that question more by doing a better job of characterizing that environment, like I said before. So um, not just on a field scale either, just in general. Um, I think we're learning with all the precision ag stuff that, yeah, that environmental data, um, we can start incorporating it into the analysis, not just having it alongside. Um, and that's going to help us really pick out differences between sites and stuff like that. Catelier says she's also building an on-farm research program through iHarf. I'm hoping to expand our field scale research program significantly this year like i've been kind of working on that for a few years but i think this is going to be the the big year hopefully but i i think as a goal for um, my program 
at iHarf is I really want the questions and topics that we cover to come from the farmers. So I feel like the farmers are more likely to get involved and want to do the research if the question is important to them, if it's something that they're specifically personally interested in on their own farm. So um, I'm starting off this kind of hopefully bigger year by hosting a workshop um, where farmers will be able to bring forward their questions, like the questions that they're interested in seeing on a, on a field scale and have a bit more of a say in where the program goes. And that's kind of like our, my board of directors likes that, that as well. So um, the event is called the IHARF On Farm Research Seminar, and it may have passed when this comes out. But um, the goal is to bring a, a new perspective to producers and really just hopefully get them to join the initiative after attending this meeting. So, and then I'll also be working like in the in next year and, and in the future, I'll also be working alongside the commissions like SaskWheat um, to help you grow and deliver your on-farm programs as well. Um, and then we'll hopefully be able to get some local sites for your program in, in Southeast Saskatchewan again next year. And she says any producers interested in learning more about their on-farm research can contact her. Yes, absolutely. If you don't get my email, just go to the iHarf website, www.iharf.ca, and there's generic contact information on there. And if it's a question about our on, on-farm research program, it'll probably, it'll get directed to me. Um, I would be happy to hear from you for sure. I'd love to chat. Christiane Catelier is a research associate with the Indian Head Agricultural Research Foundation, she made her comments on the Sask Wheat Wheat Profit podcast. Please stay tuned. Your commodities update is coming up next. Commodities update. Canola futures are trading down across the board right now. March canola trading at 838.80. That's down $3.60. May canola trading at 838.30 down $2.70. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 9.12 and 3 quarters. That's up a half a cent. March Kansas City wheat trading at 8.43 and 3 quarters, up 8 and 3 quarters of a cent. March Chicago wheat trading at 7.44 per bushel, up 1 and a quarter cents. March corn trading at 6.74 and 3 quarters up three and three quarters of a cent. March soybeans are trading at 15.25 and a half. That's up seven cents. March oats trading at 3.63 and a half. That's up two and a quarter cents. And that's the commodities update. Farm Bulletin Board. Back in the Saddle is the title for the Saskatchewan Beef Industry Conference, which is coming up January 24th to the 26th at the Saskatoon Inn in Saskatoon. Guest speakers include the Honourable Rob Black, a senator from Ontario, Dr. Jude Capper, Dr. Sidney Crosped, Brenna Grant, Dr. Stuart Smythe, as well as Quick Dick McDick. So you can go check out the Saskatchewan Beef Industry Conference uh, in Saskatoon. That's coming up January 24th through the 26th in Saskatoon. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. 
It's now 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Increasing cloud, winds south-southeast at 10 to 20, and a high of minus 5 degrees. For tonight, cloudy, winds south-southwest at 10 to 20, a low of minus 8. For tomorrow, cloudy, winds southeast at 10 to 20, a high of minus 1. For tomorrow night, a 60% chance of light snow with 1 to 2 centimeters. Light freezing rain possible as well. Winds west-northwest at 10 to 20 and a low of minus 3. For Sunday, cloudy with a 60% chance of flurries. Winds northwest at 15 to 25, a high of minus 4. For Monday, partly sunny, a high of minus 8. And Tuesday, sunny, a high of minus 9. In the Paw, it's minus 10 degrees, Swan River minus 9, Dauphin minus 13, Brandon minus 14, Show Lake Russell minus 12, Roblin minus 11. Regina is at minus 9 degrees, Saskatoon minus 14, Hudson Bay minus 10, Broadview Mooseman minus 5, Indian Head minus 6, Winyard Wadena Kelvington minus 8. The Yorkton Melville region has a sunny sky, a south southeast wind at 13 kilometers an hour, 87% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 13 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 20 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again on Monday at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.